Matthew chapter 7. We're going to give you plenty of time to get there. Today we're going to be starting in verse 21. If you haven't been around Journey, this is our 14th week, I believe. I might, I'll have to go back and look for sure. But we started in June working our way through the longest sermon that is recorded in the Bible from Jesus. And this is called the Sermon on the Mount. We started in Matthew chapter 5, and we're just working our way through. By the way, we are now right near the conclusion. Next week, we will look at the last things that Jesus has to say in this sermon and then, because we skipped some stuff, we'll go back to some of the stuff we skipped. You thought we were almost done. Oh, no. No, no, no. All right, so are you there? Matthew chapter 7, you have it in your Bibles? Verse 21? Okay, before, well, I'm going to still give you some time to get there. So 100 years ago, uh, when I was a kid, um, in our family, my, my grandfather has a vegetable farm in Huron. Had, he's passed away, but uh, it, it, to this day, you go down Huron Avery Road and you'll see the sign for DeChant Farms. And, and so as a boy, because they were sexist back then, as a boy in the family, you had to work on the farm. The rule was until you graduated from high school, so all my summers were working on, on my grandpa's farm. You're looking at my body and you're, you're looking, saying, I don't see any evidence that you were ever working on a farm, but that's all right. And so as soon as I graduated from high school, because I'm a smart boy, I just said, I'm not working on the farm anymore. I'm working at Cedar Point, America's rock and roller coaster, right? And so because I had an in to work in the merchandising department, which was in air conditioning. That's the only thing I needed. I didn't need to know how much it was going to pay me. I just needed to know I'm not working out in the farm. I am now working in air conditioning. And one of the things that we did throughout the summer, and you wouldn't even know this as a guest at Cedar Point, but in the merchandising department, we would do something. And you guys, if you've worked retail or you work in a warehouse, you've done this. We did something called inventory. How many of you have ever done an inventory? For us, this meant, because we had to do it when the guests weren't around, all night long into the early morning, we would, we would converge, those, those who were part of management would converge on a particular gift store, and we would count everything in that gift store. Every t-shirt, every ceramic mug, every keychain had to be counted, and it would be compared to a master count of what was supposed to be in the store, Right? Today, what we're going to be looking at, I think Jesus is giving us an opportunity for a spiritual inventory. Jesus is saying, I want you, listen, we, you got to do this from time to time. It is so important that we do a spiritual check of, of, of just counting and comparing it to the master list that we see in the Word of God. And so today is going to be about an inventory. I want you to know, some of you in this room, this sermon may not be the most comfortable sermon for you, but this is because Jesus loves you. And we talked about this last week. Jesus doesn't just say I love you like so many people in our lives do. Jesus proved his love for us. He loves you so much and he doesn't want you heading down the road we talked about last week, the road to destruction. And that's not just hell and we believe in hell, but that's destruction even in the here and now. Jesus doesn't want you walking down the path of destruction. He has a way of life for you. And so inventory is a part of it. All right, uh, you guys are all there. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. You ready? All right, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Let's bow our heads real quickly. Father, we thank you for your word. We know this is a word this morning that is a word to challenge us. 
And so I pray that as I, that as I speak, as we unpack what you're saying here, Father, I pray that, that you would convict us in the areas where we need conviction, that you would encourage us in the areas where we need encourage, God, that we would look more and more like you to a world that desperately needs to see you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so don't close your Bibles. We're now gonna go through this just one line at a time. So let's go back to the first thing that we read, verse 21. The first line was this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You notice, first of all, that the people are using the right language. They're referring to Jesus properly. It's right theology that Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? It means that he's master, that he's supreme, right? So here's someone coming to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, just because you said Lord doesn't mean that you're in. And look at it, not only do they have the right theology, but they say, Lord, Lord. That's conveying enthusiasm, it's conveying passion. He's saying, just because you were enthusiastic with your right theology doesn't even mean that you're in, because he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's sobering to realize that some in this room who think that they're good with God may not actually be good with God. Just because we use the right Christian words, just because we know the right phrases, just because we like and share the right social media posts, just because you don't swear, just because you don't smoke and you don't chew and you don't go with girls who do, it doesn't mean that you're in. Just because you know the lyrics to Audio Adrenaline's Big Big House doesn't mean that you're automatically in. So how can you know that you're good with God? Well, he goes on, he says, only those, here's the answer, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Let's read that again. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. The word do here is a Greek word poio, and it means, it means to do, but it's not a to-do list do. It's a do that comes out of abiding, agreeing, and banding together. It's a habitual doing. This is not a to-do list do. It's a do that comes out of connection and out of relationship. And Jesus says only those who actually do the will of my Father this doing that is flowing out of relationship, that's flowing out of knowing, this doing, only those who do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now as I'm reading this, I, I, some of you who have been around, you know, you've been in church world for most of your life, there's an instant like pushback to this because you go, well, wait, wait a second, isn't Jesus contradicting himself? Doesn't Ephesians chapter two say that we are saved by grace through faith? Like isn't it, like what does what doing have to do with entering the kingdom of heaven? It, I thought that this is, Ken, you've preached before that it's done, it's D-O-N-E, it's what Jesus did for me on the cross, that it's, that it's the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross when he took upon himself the curse of our sin and he became our substitute on the cross. Like, isn't that how we're saved? And I would say yes. But they're not exclusive. That, 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 so many times we won't say, well, which one is it? And Jesus is saying it's both and. In fact, he's gonna, he's gonna explain even in the next verse that we're gonna look at in a moment. The same grace that saves us gives us the motivation and power to obey him. In fact, when we understand, when we truly understand, I don't, don't just mean informationally, like head knowledge understand, when we have a transformational experience with the grace of God, it should bring about doing. It should bring about action. We're gonna look more at this. 
Doing the will of God doesn't automatically get you into heaven. Just doing all the stuff is not an automatic ticket to heaven, but everyone in heaven does the will of God. Jesus isn't looking for a surface level to-do list kind of obedience. He's looking for a heart of obedience that is permeating our entire being. So the question is, is your life in alignment with the character of the kingdom? Remember the very beginning of the sermon, we started out with Jesus saying what the will of God looks like. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus is saying, these are the elements, these are the parts of the kingdom of God that I want your life to be in alignment with. So are you poor in spirit? Do you exercise power under control? That's meekness. Are you merciful? Are you compassionate to those who are hurting and lost and in physical need? Do you forgive others or have you been walking around for the last 37 years holding a grudge against somebody who hurt you? Jesus is only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. It's not, it's not just those who say, Lord, Lord. He goes on, verse 22. You still with me? It's really quiet in the house. He goes on in verse 22. He says, on judgment day, many will say to me. That word many, I circled it as I, as I was studying, and that haunts me. Because Jesus is saying, this isn't just a few. Many, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, back to that right theology, back to that enthusiasm, that passion, Lord, Lord. And then look at this. He says, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. Can I ask you, is it a good thing to prophesy? Some of you are like, well, I don't know what prophecy means. Okay, prophesying is boldly declaring the word of God. That's what prophesying it is. It's not fortune telling. It's not all the weird things. Biblical uh, uh, prophecy is boldly declaring the word of God. Do you think it's a good thing that we prophesy? Absolutely. Do you think it's a good thing, and I think we're going to increasingly see this in our culture because I, 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 just darkness is pervading more and more. Do you think it's a good thing to confront those who are tormented by unclean demonic spirits and to bring freedom through the word of God, through the life of Christ to those people who are tormented? Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think it's a good thing to do miracles? I think Jesus would say, yeah, all those are good things, and yet you can do all those good things and still miss out. You say, how in the world is that possible? Because we could do those good things, but we're doing it out of motivation of pride. In the American church, we're really confronted. We're in a, we're in a time of, of being confronted with the fact that, that, that we begin to worship the wrong things. We make, we make secondary things primary and primary things secondary. We begin to worship worship in the American church. We begin to worship teachers Worship podcasts and YouTube videos. We can worship ministry. We can make what is secondary primary in the process, make what is primary secondary. The best illustration of this is maybe you're going, Ken, what are you, what are you talking about? Let's put it this way, okay? Let's say an alien from outer space came down from space to Clyde, Ohio this Friday night 
and saw all the lights around Race Street, around the football stadium at Race Street, and he comes walking into the football game and comes sitting on the stands. They're playing Perkins this Friday, right? And so this alien who knows nothing about what's going on in this place just sees the lights, sees all the people. Some of you are like, I think I sat next to that. I, I, think, I, I think I did, that, yeah. And so the alien's trying to figure out what's going on, right? And so the alien goes, okay, wait, wait, wait. So those guys in the black and white shirts throwing yellow flags, that's football, right? And we say, well, no, 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 that, that's, a, that's kind of a part of it. But that's, that's not the game. That's just, an, that's just like a peripheral part. Oh, okay, I got you. Okay, got you. So those girls in those dresses that are way too short, skirts that are way too short, that are jumping up and down with the pom-poms, that's football, right? We say, well, no, that's, that's kind of part of the experience, but that's, that's not football. Okay, that overweight guy screaming at the top of his lungs in the stands, which, by the way, isn't it interesting that we will scream at the top of our lungs and get so excited about high school boys out on a football field, but when it comes to singing or having outward demonstrable exuberance in the house of God, it's kind of like a harder thing. I just That's an aside. That has nothing to do with the sermon. But, it, you know, this guy who's screaming at the top of his lungs, is that, is that no, that, that's a part of the experience. It's, but that, that's, not, that's not football. And we've done the same thing in the church. We've done the same thing in the church and so we can prophesy and we can cast out demons and we can do miracles and we can miss out on what is primary, that it is Christ and him glorified and me in humility serving him. I have nothing to offer in and of myself. I'm broken and helpless and powerless in and of myself and my own person, but through Christ. Maybe you've had great spiritual experiences in the past. Maybe you've been able to do great spiritual things and even get great results. But that says absolutely nothing about your relationship with God. He says, these people are going to come up to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we performed miracles. And then look at, look at the beginning of verse 23. But I will reply. This is Jesus speaking. If you're mad at this sermon, don't be mad at me, okay? Jesus, Jesus saying this. This is in red letters, but I will reply, I never knew you. That after all of the hullabaloo, Jesus simply says, I never knew you. Which speaks to the fact that the greatest pursuit of our lives should be knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. The Greek word gnosko means to come to know, to recognize, or to perceive. That even in this time, there were followers of Jesus. Remember, it wasn't just the 12. There was 120. There was, there was many who were following Jesus. There were, there, some of Jesus' followers did not perceive him correctly. They wanted to be with Jesus, but they didn't want to fully surrender their lives to him with the proof of actually obeying him. They hadn't come to the place of recognizing the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, of knowing Christ. Many years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the Apostle Paul would write these words that we find in Philippians chapter 3. I love this passage. Here is Paul who is so much going for him, so highly educated, so smart, so intellectual, has so much going for him. And look at what he says beginning in verse eight. He says, yes, everything else, all these things that I'm talking about, all of that is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. I want to know Christ. Do you hear the passion? This isn't just a, I want to know information about somebody. This is I want to experience. I want to encounter him for myself. I'm glad my grandma had an experience with God. I'm glad my parents had an experience. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. But that's not all. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. It's both and. You can't have one without the other. I want his resurrection life, and I'm willing to suffer for him. I'm willing to die for him. Not only that, I'm willing to live for him. Despite danger and criticism and threats. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that, I love this, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So going back to verse 23 of Matthew 7, Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This seems like one of the scariest passages in the Bible, but you know, in some, in some aspect, it provides hope and it provides light. Sometimes, and in, in Matt, would, Matt would get this with InterVarsity, some, some of the resistance to Christianity, especially from college students, but from every age, some of the resistance to Christianity is people will look at the horrific things that have been done throughout human history for the past 2,000 years in the name of Jesus. They look at things like the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the Holocaust, and they say, well, those people claim that they were doing that in the name of Jesus. And I the, I don't like this passage, but I like this passage because it speaks to the fact Jesus says, hey, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things in my name. It doesn't mean that they're with me. and doesn't mean I'm with them. The issue is belonging to Christ. Paul uses this language consistently throughout his letters. He talks about being in Christ. Being in Christ. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. I'm no longer in sin, I'm in grace. I'm no longer in death, I'm in life. I'm no longer in condemnation, I'm in righteousness. I'm no longer in captivity, I'm in freedom, right? Like, like this, is, this should be our identity. My identity is not all the thousands of things that the world wants to label me and put on me, but my identity, I am in Christ. I wanna know him, I wanna walk with him. I want, to, I want to read this, this passage again uh, that, we've been, that we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. But I want to read it this time from a paraphrase called the message. It says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. 
You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. So what, what do we do with this dichotomy of, well, can like you've always talked about grace. And this doesn't feel very graceful. Now it seems like you've, you've flipped the script on us, and now it's like doing, and it's obey, and like, which one is it? It's both and. But here's, here's what we need to get. The doing needs to flow out of the experience with the grace of God. It's not just doing, because Jesus says there's people who do, but they're not with me, and I'm not with them. So it's, it can't just be doing. It's doing that comes out of the knowing. It's doing that flows out of the grace of God, right? Here's the best way that I can think of to, to uh, give as an example is, so, so this, is gonna, this is gonna symbolize, this water dispenser is gonna symbolize you and me, right? And there's no doing. There's, there's nothing coming out of this. There's no, there's, there's no will of God coming out. What has to happen is first, I have to experience, this bucket is gonna symbolize the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I don't just mean like a theological understanding of the grace of God. I mean that I have come to a place of humility and brokenness and helplessness and powerlessness where I've said, God, I don't have what it takes. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered. I can't do this. And God, I recognize that through the cross of Jesus, you demonstrated your love for me. You died for me. And so I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's risen from the dead. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I wanna live for you. Empower me to live for you. This is an experiential knowledge of the grace of God. Not just information. It's, it, it's, it, 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 it's me being transferred from being in something else to being in Christ, right? So the grace of God, when the great grace of God begins to flow into my life, What just naturally begins to happen? And it's not going in the bucket. It, it's, just, it's, just, it's just as the grace of God is being poured into me, like I don't have to like, this is, oh, I wanna do, I wanna do the will of God. It's, it's, it, it's not that, it's just a natural, it just flows out of me. The grace of God, this experience with the grace of God flows into. Now, what happens as I experience the grace of God? I begin to, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I begin to think different, right? I begin to think different about God. I begin to think different about myself. I begin to think different about other people, right? And this perspective shapes. Now I begin to see things that I never saw before. I begin to see hurts that I never saw before, right? I begin to see opportunities for showing the love of God that I never saw before, but it's flowing out of the grace of God. Now, I put too much water in this because I'm trying to ramble to get it down to the place, but, but eventually, if I, stop, if I stop coming back to the source, what's gonna happen? It's gonna stop, right? And why is it gonna stop? Because, because I'm no longer under the overflow of the grace of God. Here's the application of today's sermon. The application of today's sermon is not go out there and do more. Go out there and do more stuff. <laughs> That's not the application of the sermon. The application of the sermon is, God, I want to know you. 
change my heart, change my affections, help me to want you, to desire you. God, I come to you in repentance that, that I, I haven't been in your word. I have, if I want to know you, I want to be in your word because I want to know you. Your word is how I know you. Forgive me that I haven't spent time in prayer and prayer isn't these and thous and all. Prayer is just me just being authentic and honest with God. But then also taking time to just listen to what he wants to say to me. Prayer and the word of God go hand in hand as I read the word of God. The word of God, I, I pray the word of God. So in all these things that we've been talking about as we've been looking at, at this sermon that Jesus gave, Jesus exemplifies this. Jesus lives this, right? So on the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed, the night that Jesus is arrested, Jesus is gathering one last time with his 12. He knows what's about to go down. Some of you really have to pee right now, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, is that thing gonna stop? Oh, I guess I could do that. Oh, I didn't even think about it. I was gonna make you suffer. <laughs> Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, on the night of his arrest, he gathers his disciples for one last, one last meal. And this is going to not just be like any meal, okay? This isn't Wendy's or Taco Bell. Like, this, there's going to be so much spiritual significance to this meal. And so they, they've made arrangements. They've got this location. Jesus, he's got it all figured out. And so they, they go into this room to have this meal. And something's missing. See, in, in that culture, they didn't have the shoes that we have. They didn't have the roads that we have. They didn't have nice manicured sidewalks that we have. You'd be, you'd, most of the time, you'd be in open-toed shoes walking through, and excuse my, you'd be walking through literal crap because the sewage would just flow next to the roads. And So anytime you would go into a home, like to share a meal, there would always be someone stationed at the door to do the most important task before you're going to eat a meal. They're going to wash your stanky feet right? So in that culture, the person that would wash the feet, that would be assigned at the door to wash the feet, would either be the youngest or it would be the lowest economically. And sometimes there'd be fights over this. Well, I know I'm the youngest, but I, I've got more wealth. I've got more education. I got more. So, so that sometimes there'd be little arguments over who's going to wash the feet, right? So they go into this meal and they're now all in the room and nobody's washing anybody's feet. I want you to see this. This is so powerful. It's not just about the washing of the feet. Look at what precedes this. Look at what happens before this. This is John chapter 13, verse 3. I think we have it. We'll put it up on the screen. Look, look at what happens in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 3. Jesus, Jesus what? Is it, is it up there? Jesus what? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and... Look at this, Jesus knew that he had come from God and would return to God. What is this? Jesus is full of God. He, he's not full of the grace of God because the grace of God is unmerited, undeserved. Jesus deserved all of it. He's the most deserving. But he is filled with, with relationship, with knowledge, with intimacy, with closeness with God. Look, I'm not, I'm not skipping any verses here. He knows this. And so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. 
Here's what I want you to get. The doing flowed out of the knowing. He knew who he, he knew that he was in Christ. And so the doing, it, this wasn't something where Jesus had to, this was just nat, like he saw, because of being filled with God, he saw things that nobody else even saw. He saw needs that nobody else even saw. He said, it's in my ability to do that. Why not me? I can do that. I can take care of that. See, the issue isn't that we need to do more. We do need to do more, I think. But the issue is that that doing has to flow out of the knowing. And for us, it flows out of the grace. Because grace, and I didn't say this earlier, is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor and compassion and love of God demonstrated toward mere mortals who are the least deserving of all because of our sin. This challenge for us is, God, I wanna know you. God, I wanna know you. And not just in a service environment where there's music being played softly and we're all here and the lights are just right. And Tomorrow morning, may you wake up before, you're hit, before your feet hit the floor. May you say, God, I want to know you today. As you're driving to work, that there would be a moment maybe of turning off the talk radio or turning off, and you just say, God, I want to know you today. As you're heading to a break, you're saying, God, I want to know you today. As you're eating, God, I want to know you today. As you get home and you're tired and you're surrounded by your family. By the way, these aren't necessarily out loud prayers even. These are just, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. I want to know you. God, I can't wait to spend some time today in your word so I can know you. God, I want to know you. And I'm telling you, when we know him, it just comes, the doing, the doing flows out of that. So would you stand to your feet this morning? We started by talking about this inventory. So I'm gonna invite you as Carrie's playing, we're just gonna take a moment and I just want you to close your eyes. We're not gonna do anything weird, but I ask you to close your eyes honestly because a lot of us have ADHD and we just need to focus for a moment. We just close your eyes for a moment. How are you doing? Are you doing the will of God? Would your family members say that your life is characterized by doing the will of God? Is your life is characterized by being poor in spirit and meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Being a peacemaker, being pure in heart? Would those who are closest to you say that your life is being characterized by doing the will of God? So let me ask you this. How full of you are, how full are you? <laughs> Some of you are full of it. Uh, how full are you with the grace of God? Do you know him? Not just do you know about him, not just do you have the right theology, you know the right things to say, you're passionate, exuberant, with, if the right song is done during worship. 
Do you know him? Is his grace filling your life daily? Are you pursuing him? Listen, the last thing that God would want is for you to walk out of this room with condemnation. Condemnation is where we beat ourselves up and we say, well, after that sermon, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess I don't measure up. I guess God doesn't love me. No, 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 no. That's That's not the application of the sermon. The application of the sermon is instead to go, okay, God, I did this inventory and you're speaking to me. And I know the count doesn't match the master count. And so, God, would you, would you empower me to get in alignment with you? Would you help me to see just how much you love? See, see, often when I'm, when I'm off track, off kilter, really it's about me just having right perspective again. I need to just get away from whatever, all the, I, I just need to get back into the perspective of God, you love me. Jesus, you did this for me. Holy Spirit, you are in me and with me. It's getting back into that place and the doing follows. So, Father, I pray over my friends this morning. If there's anybody in here who's, who's never surrendered their life to you, they've never, they didn't know how good you are. They didn't know the love that you have for them. They didn't know that they could have purpose and peace in their lives. Not meaning everything's going to go, it's not going to be cupcakes and unicorns, but God, maybe there's somebody in this room who hasn't surrendered their life to you. They haven't made you the master and leader of their, they've never understood your grace. They've never understood the love that you have for them, that you won't walk out on them, you won't abandon them. God, I pray this morning that they would surrender their life to you, meaning they would finally, okay, God, I'm, I'm all in with you. I may not understand it, I may not have all my questions answered, there may be things that are still confusing, but I am going to follow you. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus is the crucified Son of God, risen from the grave, full of authority to change my life. If that's you, right where you are, we just raise your hand if you're making that decision this morning. You're saying, I want to follow Jesus this morning. I'm surrendering my life to him. Anybody at all? Yeah, I see you back there. Anybody else? Father, I pray for my friend back there with the hand up. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus. Right now, under his breath. Just pray those things in your own words, just under your breath. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that through Jesus, you have life for me. I surrender my life to you. Empower me to now live for you, to walk with you, to do what you want me to do, to go where you want me to go, to say what you want me to say. Empower me to be filled with your grace, filled with an understanding of who you are and what you've done for me. For all of us, God, doing us what we can't do for ourselves. I pray that we would walk in closer alignment with you than we ever have before. And that we would do the will of God in our generation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you leave, remember those connection cards we talked about at the beginning of the service? 
If you're making a decision, whether you raise your hand or not, you're making a decision to follow Jesus. Would you check that box right near the bottom? It says, my next step. Would you check that box? Maybe you're reaffirming uh, to follow Christ. You could check that box. Maybe you'd like to be baptized next week. Check that box. And we have some good-looking people at the back with the white buckets. As you're leaving, you can stick those in there. Hey, come back next week. We will finally be at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be an opportunity to rejoice. We will also have baptisms. You don't want to miss next Sunday. God bless you guys.